1901, a woman by the name of Annie Taylor climbed into a barrel so that she could ride that barrel over Niagara Falls, the first person to do so. The reason for her crazy endeavor? She was struggling to make ends meet, and she was hoping for fame and financial security. It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage, a faith and family mortgage team that tries to improve your financial outlook without having to ship you over a 170-foot waterfall. Our mortgage team happens to be an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money through a refinance, or help you with a cash-out refinance, cashing out some of your home's equity to use for life. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. Good morning, Michael. Good to have you with us. It's good to be here. So, again, if you've got questions for Michael, go ahead and text them in to us at 423-629-8900. And Fred gives us our first one here for today, Michael. And the question is, uh, in Matthew, the Bible says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father, roughly says that. So can you expand on this? Because he's used this to try and wake people up. And to, he's wondering if that's a legitimate way to do that. Well. You know, that's a general statement. I think what the Lord is saying, if you deny me, you obviously aren't a genuine follower of me. And it's very true that there are people who go along with the crowd, and as soon as it becomes challenging, you can see that in John 6, they all go away. Oh, yeah. And they would deny him when it's hard. Uh, I think it's possible for a genuine believer to deny the Lord, but they confess that, and that sin is forgiven. And then they're not denied at the at the in the end mm -hmm. but as a general principle the the idea that the lord gives is that if someone denies me it's proof that they're probably not genuinely a believer and uh, and that's why okay so uh let me take you back to peter and his response right then at that moment I mean, he denied Christ. Now, I, if I was Peter, I would have done exactly what he did. He wanted to be close. He didn't want to be revealed. So I can understand when somebody's in his face saying, hey, you got to be with him. you got to be one of them. Aren't you one of them? I say, no, 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 so that I could stay close. So motivationally, I get that. But here he is denying the Lord. Now, I know the backside of the story. But in that moment, I'm just wondering if, if we caught, get caught in that, where, how do we handle that? Well, it's, it's just what I just said. That yeah. Generally speaking, a person who denies the Lord is not a believer. But there, it's possible, I said, for someone who is a genuine believer, like Peter, mm -hmm. to have that denial. But they're penitent. Yeah. And they're restored, like Peter. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that that... What I'm trying to say is people want to go to that verse and make it like, always, always, they want to be rigid about it. And... It's a general statement, not a uh, rigid statement, I would say. Okay. And, no. and uh, the, the great hope we have is that when we deny him, he won't deny us because if we're genuine, because he cannot deny himself. So mm -hmm. that's, that's where I would go about this. Uh, I, have to, I, I do have to say this, that one of the reasons people want to find 
contradictions within the Bible, like that verse about denying oneself, mm -hmm. denying the Lord, and Peter's denial, is they, they take a rigid, wooden, literal approach to everything in Scripture. And as a result, every statement becomes hard and fast, and not, there's no such thing as nuance. Mm. And, and I think that's why we, we, get, we get in trouble with the Bible. Uh, I take the Bible very literally, very seriously, but I, I can distinguish between a general statement and something that is uh, an exception. Okay. It's, it's like people who tell me uh, th that the Bible contradicts itself because it's appointed unto man once to die, right? Mm -hmm. And yet the Bible teaches a rapture, and of course, uh, Elijah and Enoch didn't die. Right. So therefore, the Bible is contradicting itself. No, that's a wooden literal uh, approach to a general statement. I, I think we would all agree that just about everybody dies. But, <laughs> but there are alternatives, exceptions, and certainly even denying the Lord is a, a sin that can be forgiven. Well, there's something about that that... Uh penitent nature, that, that repentance that, that we are called to, we think as followers of Christ that it's something that you do once before you come to the Lord and then repent and turn back to him. But that's something that's part of our relationship with him as we grow. Mm -hmm. So here's how I would give the Rydelnik paraphrase of, if you deny me, I will deny you, deny you before the Father. If you deny me and never are penitent, it will demonstrate that you're not a believer and I'll deny you before the Father. However, if you deny me and you are a believer, you will be penitent, and I won't deny you before the Father. Mm, I like it. You should write mm -hmm. a book, Michael. That was awesome. Okay. <laughs> the Rydelnik paraphrase of the New Testament. Hey, uh, if you've got a question for Michael, go ahead and text it into us, 423-629-8900. We have somebody that's asking a question, Michael, about capital punishment. How is that addressed, or is it addressed in Scripture? Well, clearly capital punishment is in scripture before the giving of the Torah, before the law. Mm -hmm. Now, some people say, oh, that's part of the law of Moses. And it certainly is part of the law of Moses. You know, eye for an eye, mm -hmm. tooth for a tooth, life for life. However, even before the law of Moses, in Genesis chapter 9, when God establishes human government after the flood, it says, whoever sheds, man, sheds man's blood, his blood will be shed by man, for God made man in his image. That's Genesis 9, 5, and 6. I will require the life of every animal, every man for your life and your blood. I will require the life of each man's brother for a man's life. So it's, it's clear Scripture has a pre-law per aspect of human government. Then people say, well, that's in the Old Testament, so it's not in the new, but a couple things. One is the New Testament, if it doesn't change it, it doesn't say now under the law of Messiah we're going to do things a little differently, then it is continuing to affirm Old Testament laws. Okay, so okay. for example, the, the law of Moses forbade incest. There's not a verse about that in the New Testament. But nothing contradicts it, so we would say under immorality, incest remains 
uh, a law. But there is sort of a hint in the New Testament about capital punishment. It talks about the human government in Romans 13. And it says that the government has, it says the government is God's servant for your good, Romans 13, 4. If you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword in vain or for no reason. And so Romans 13, 4 is saying the government has the power of the sword. Well, that sword is not just to use as a paddle to pat people on the on the rear end. That uh, The sword is a deadly uh, weapon. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I would say that, that uh, capital punishment is part of human government. And the Bible is very restrictive, and it has to do with with murder, that that's where it's used. Okay, thank you so much. And uh, Penny, who's falling, uh, filling in for Tabby here, has a little follow-up question. What's up, Penny? I do, in the Tabby role of having a follow-up question, too. Um, I, I'm just curious, with what we know about how Jesus handles forgiveness, how Jesus handles, you know, as far as I understand it, there's not a sin that's beyond the reach of Christ. So how do we reconcile that truth with the capital punishment element? Well, capital punishment has to do with human government, not divine government. I'm not saying that a a murderer can't be forgiven uh, and be restored or come to know the Lord, but there are often human consequences, earthly consequences for our behavior, even though they are forgiven by the Lord. Mm. That's just a general rule about sin that they're, you know, just because we're forgiven doesn't take away the consequences. And it may very well be that a person is utterly forgiven and will go to be with the Lord, but may have to face the earthly consequences for their deeds. Yeah, Michael, thank you so much for that. And again, if you have a question for Michael, uh, go ahead and uh, share that with us. Text it in at 423-629-8900. And Michael, some questions are just pouring in. This one is a question about Revelation 21.1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. And they have a question about that. What does it mean, no more sea? Is it water? Does that actually refer to people? Is, Is it an allegory? Just some questions about that particular passage. Revelation 21 is saying that there's going to be a new creation. That's the new heavens and new earth. Takes us right back to Gen- Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And uh, when it says there will be no more sea, I think that may very well be a figure of speech for this. Uh, a metaphor that the sea was the place of great fear because people would go out to sea and never return because mm-hmm. it was dangerous. And uh, if when it says there will no longer be any fear, uh, any sea, it's saying there won't be any fear any longer, no danger any okay. longer. Okay. That's- I had never pictured that before. I always just thought that it's it's all going to be new. It's going to be new. Everything's going to be new. Those well, also, are- listen, I could be wrong. It could be very well that God will make a new kind of world without a sea. Uh, we'll see. Okay. But I think it's more about no danger. Okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's just one of the things that was interesting where, you know, all the people would be fishing and they'd be fishing right along 
uh, the shoreline, and and Jesus is telling them to go out to the deep, which is is something that's terrifying for them. Launch out into the deep. Wait, nobody fishes in the deep. What are you talking about, Jesus? And that's just in a lake when you think about it. Uh huh. I know. You know, in in Israel they call it the Sea of Galilee. Actually, uh, in the New Testament, it's called the Sea of Galilee. But it's an upgrade because it's the Holy Land. It's actually just a lake. Uh, you know, we you get little hills in Israel, and they call them mountains. Yeah, they do that little, in Chattanooga, too. Don't, don't get me wrong here. <laughs> it's, it's a Holy Land upgrade is what that is it's called, the, the Lake Canaret Sea of Galilee. Okay, perfect. Uh, and uh, his name is Michael Rydunk. I have another question that came in. It's from my friend Daryl. It says, um, uh, asking for your view and your opinion of women pastors from the New Testament. Uh, there's a lot of differences of opinion about this. Uh, and I would say that we shouldn't go at each other's throats over this. We can agree to disagree. How's that? Uh, it's one of those secondary issues, but I'll tell you my opinion. In First Timothy 2, beginning with verse 12, what Paul says is that he doesn't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority uh, a woman should learn in silence or in quietness as I would say not, not absolute silence with full submission I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man Instead, she is to be quiet. Then it gives two, and I think teaching and exercise authority are the two functions of an elder, which a a pastor would be. Uh, So why? Because of the order of creation and uh, because of the terrible consequences of ignoring God's divine order, and that's what led to the fall not because the woman was was more gullible, but because they just ignored the divine order. And so that sounds to me like it is prohibited for a woman to be in the elder role. I'll put it that way. And as long as the church considers a pastor to be an elder, I would say that's that's not the right title for her. There may be a church that doesn't consider a pastor to be an elder, I won't deal with that. Okay. But if, if a pastor is an elder in the local congregation, then this seems to be prohibiting it. What I think is also interesting, now it does say women will be saved through childbearing, one of the most difficult verses in the New Testament. But I think it means a woman will deliver her life through bearing of children, through raising them up for the Lord, that a woman should find her greatest ministry in her family, generally speaking. Of course, there are women who can't have kids, women who don't marry. I understand that. Again, general statement, Mm -hmm. a woman will find her greatest ministry, uh, her greatest redemption in life, her greatest significance, I would say, not through being a pastor or an elder, but through uh, shepherding her family. Mm. And uh, what I think is interesting, in the very next paragraph, it says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. And then it gives the qualifications of elder. What I think is so interesting, 
is it doesn't say if anyone, literally in Greek, it says if any man aspires. And then it uses the male pronoun, masculine pronoun, he. So in the very follow-up, it talks about men serving as elders. And then, interestingly, as you continue in that passage, in verse 11, it talks about women too must be worthy of respect. That's in the context of of deacons. And so it seems to me in verse 11, you've got the qualifications for deaconesses. So women can serve as deaconesses in the local congregation, but uh, but the idea of elder is is again limited to men. <laughs> 